Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to this latest installment of the About That podcast with me, your host, your favorite geek psychologist, your favorite pop culture enthusiast, your favorite queen of the nerds, Dr. Vanessa Hintz. And today is special because we're actually going to be talking about both a television show and a comic series at the same time. How you say? Well, let me tell you. Today's subject matter is none other than The Boys, the critically acclaimed comic series, the absolutely fantabulous Amazon television show, that The Boys. And so as we get into this conversation again, I am hoping to talk to you all because I very recently uh, consumed all of the comics. I think it took me maybe like a month, a month and a half. And that's really because I was trying to pace myself. But I read all of the comic series after I had watched the series through maybe two times. Um, and since then, I've watched it the third. And so I'm like raring to go with all of this knowledge. And so as we get into it, I just want to set the context for those of you who may not be aware um, of the boys and what it is all about. And so I'm going to just give you a very brief synopsis of the plot because there's there's a lot going on. Um, there is a lot <laughs> going on. And I also don't want to spoil it too much for people who may have it on their list. Lord knows I have a list of things that I'm going to either read or watch that's maybe like two miles long. And so I don't want to spoil it too much. Nonetheless, The Boys is a comic series that is set between 2006 and 2008. The TV series seems to be happening in real time. And in this series, uh, superheroes exist. However, they are basically a privatized industry. So superheroes are managed uh, by this very large corporation known as Vought International. Um, and many of the heroes that we see, almost all of them, are pretty much just very corrupt. Um, they're corrupted by their celebrity status and they engage in very dangerous and very reckless behavior, behavior that often compromises the safety of the people who idolize them, basically sort of quote unquote normal, non-powered people who view superheroes, or as they're called in the boys' soups, as these ominous sort of protectors. In reality, they're really just kind of reckless and harmful, um, the soups are. And so the boys um, is actually the name of a group of operatives that are funded by the CIA that are basically charged with monitoring the superhero community. So the boys is that the boys is a group that is led by William Butcher um, and includes MM, aka Mother's Milk. Frenchie, the female who is known as Kimiko in the television show, and also Huey Campbell. And so in the course of the comic series, in the course of the television show, shenanigans and conflict ensues between the boys and the superhero community, as well as the people who run Vought International. And so that is sort of a spoiler-free <laughs> plot, sort of synopsis, a spoiler-free review. And so to give a bit more sort of historical context, because I will be honest, I knew nothing about the boys comic book until I watched the show. It's actually a 72 issue comic series that was published between October 2006 and November of 2012. The boys comic series was created by writer Garth Ennis and artist Derek Robertson. And so there was actually a bit of a tumultuous start for the comic series, series, although it was very popular. So the first six issues were actually published by Wildstorm, um, which is was a subsidiary of DC Comics. Um, but despite the strong showing, the comic was, was popular by comic standards. Um, upon its release, it was actually canceled after those first six issues. And according to an article from Business Insider, uh, the folks at Wildstorm, which again was part of DC Comics, um, were likely, quote, very nervous 
about the boys and the R-rated material because essentially the boys is raunchy. For lack of a better word, it includes graphic language, sex, and violence, and it is speculated that there was concern that this type of raunchy material would be start to be associated with DC, um, and DC, you know, the home of Batman, Superman, etc. And so they were like, no, nah, we're just going to distance ourselves from this. And so lucky for us, for consumers, for audiences, uh, the remaining issues uh, after the six were published by Dynamite Entertainment. And herein we have a 72 issue run of comics. And so, as I mentioned, the comics sort of ended. Uh, the last issue came out in November of 2012. And in October of 2015, the uh, television series was actually greenlit by Cinemax um, with Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and Eric Kripke as producers. And you all know me, y'all know I love Supernatural. Eric Kripke was also the genius mastermind behind Supernatural, so I had high hopes for this show, but we'll get into that later. Anyways, October 2015 was when this series was greenlit. But according to that same article by Business Insider, Cinemax actually dropped the series because they felt like it was too expensive. Um, but according to Eric Kripke, Amazon swooped in, quote, with that sweet, sweet Jeff Bezos money. And so in September of 2017, Amazon picked up the rights to the series. And lo and behold, we now have three seasons. Season one premiered in July of 2019. Season two premiered in September of 2020. And season three premiered in June of 2022. So currently we have three full seasons, 24 episodes. And at the time of this recording, season four has actually wrapped and is expected to be released in late 2023, early 2024. Cannot come fast enough for me. So in addition to these comic books, in 2008, there was a film adaptation that was optioned. However, this was ultimately scrapped by 2013. Um, all of the comic book issues have been adapted into seven audiobooks. So if you prefer to consume your story that way, there are seven audiobooks that will tell the entire story arc. Uh, the Boys Presents Diabolical is an animated spinoff series that was released in March of 2022. And currently we are awaiting a live action spinoff series called Gen V that is scheduled to premiere sometime in 2023 on Amazon. And this spinoff series will be focused on the G-Men from the comic series. And child, that was like a whole shenanigan that I'm going to get into later, this story about these G-Men. Nonetheless, live action spinoff that is coming to us sometime this year. And so with all that being said, as I mentioned, The Boys was a very popular uh, comic series, again, by comic standards. And um, because of that, it was then developed into this television show. And so... According to Wikipedia, the boys television show actually became the first non-Netflix show to appear on the Nielsen top 10 streaming shows list. Season one attracted 8 million viewers within the first 10 days. And so I think that this is just me speculating. I have no idea, but I think people who were, who knew about this story, who knew, who had read the comics, they knew that it was about to be. It was about to be turned up. It was about to be dope. And then I think, you know, word just travels fast. And I think once people knew what the show was, what it was about, it attracted more and more viewers. And actually, according to movieweb.com, The Boys was the most streamed superhero series in 2022. More people streamed The Boys than any other Marvel shows on Disney Plus in 2022. And I would argue that this is largely attributed to the success of season three, the most recent season. It was super dope. We'll get to that later. The Boys is Amazon's most watched show. And in 2022, it actually outperformed the Rings of Power, which I believe, I don't know nothing about Lord of the Rings, but I think that was some kind of spinoff from Lord of the Rings. But anyways, The Boys was the most watched show on Amazon last year. And I believe that this sort of, the popularity of the show um, has caused this sort of renewed interest in the comics. That, has, that was definitely my experience. According to bleedingcool.com, Dynamite sold 350,000 omnibus editions of the boys in 2019 and 2020. And so I think many folks like myself watched the show, loved it. 
and then they wanted to read the comic. And so what I'm gonna do now that we sort of have an understanding about what The Boys is, it's amazing, it's about superheroes that are privatized, that are really just out here trying to live their best lives and do whatever they want to. And there's a group of non-powered people, depending on whether you read the comics or whether you or whether you watch the show. Um, but there's a group of people who are basically charged with keeping the soups in line. And that would be the group known as the boys. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that I think stand out about this story. Um, and I want to start with, again, what I think made it so popular in the first place. And that was quote, the R rated content. So the tremendous amounts of sex, violence, naughty language, drug use, what have you. So I think people who imagine comic books just to be capes and tights and bam, bam, pow. Uh, if you pick up an, an issue of the boys, you will be pleasantly or not surprised. Uh, by what it is that you consume. And what I actually want to talk about with regard to sort of that quote R-rated content is this idea of hedonism. According to the American Psychological Association's Dictionary of Psychology, hedonism, quote, suggests that pleasure and the avoidance of pain are the only, are the major motivating forces in behavior. Pleasure and the avoidance of pain motivate behavior. And so what I feel like we see inherent in the narrative that is the boys is people doing whatever they want because they can. So said another way, what would you do if you knew that nobody could stop you? What would you do if you knew that there were no consequences? So as we see time and time again, these soups, and at times our beloved boys, they can do whatever they want, so they will do whatever they want. And I would argue that this sort of, I can do it, anything without consequences is part of not only the fascination with heroes that we see embedded in the narrative, but I would argue our fascination with superheroes as consumers, this idea that there is a person who is all powerful that no one can stop. That to me as an existentialist is something that is very interesting because part of what it means to exist in the world, what it means to be a human in the world is that we have certain limitations. We have sort of bodily limitations, right? Like if I went on my roof right now and I tried to run and fly, I'm not going to do that because physics and the sort of biology and science that, you know, rule our world, they're not going to allow me to do that. If I wanted to walk through the wall, I can't do that. There are existential limitations based on my body, based on science, based on biology, right? If I wanted to live forever, I'm not going to do that, right? Superheroes and soups, as we, as we typically understand them, they are not bound by those same limitations. And again, I would argue that unlike traditional superhero narratives where we see heroes as sort of in inherently, and I put this in quotes, good, we see heroes as inherently wanting to use the that lack of limitation to help. What I can appreciate about the boys is that that is sort of flipped people have no limitations. So they, that makes them even more selfish. That makes them even more hedonistic. That makes them even more self-centered. And again, I think that there are examples of this throughout the boys narrative. Again, examples of this sex, violence, all of this stuff, right? That you think about the pleasure principles, like what is it that's going to make me feel good? Drugs, sex, and, uh, killing people, whatever. Um, and I think the best example of this, whether you're reading the comic or watching the TV show, is the character of Homelander. Let me just say, before we move forward, Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander, is amazing. I think that it is a crime that he has not won some sort of Emmy or something for his portrayal of Homelander. Like, he is amazing. He makes you believe that he really is like 
as my husband would say, the evil Captain America, he, if you see him, like just like when he's not dressed as Homelander, he's very unassuming, you know, he kind of, he's not like, you know, all big and jacked and whatever. And then you see him in this outfit, the way that he portrays this character, he is amazing. And again, I think that part of the success of this show is him. I can't say it enough. Like the, the his facial expressions, the sort of Homelander is such a sort of tortured soul. And I think he plays it so subtly and so beautifully. So I know he ain't listening to this, but Anthony Starr, if you ever hear this, I heart you. And I think that you are amazing. And please continue to bring that fire when you're playing Homelander. Okay, so nonetheless, Homelander, I think, again, he is by far, he is the leader of, in the boys, there is a a primary superhero group known as the Seven. So think about the Avengers or the Justice League. In the boys, this group is called the Seven. Homelander is the leader of the Seven. And he is, again, sort of like, the, he has Superman. That's what I would compare him to. Superman level abilities. He's very durable. He's got, you know, laser eyes, all these different things. And he is universally beloved um, by sort of all the lay people. And what we come to discover very quickly is that he got a lot going on. There are many instances throughout the narrative in which Homelander just does whatever, right? And I believe there is a moment, um, I think it's season two, it could be season one, but he's standing in sort of like the seven headquarters And he looks at someone, I don't remember who exactly he was talking to, but he says, I'm Homelander. I can do whatever I want. And again, I return to this question, what would you do if you knew nobody could stop you? I think a lot of us would like to believe that if we had this tremendous power, this tremendous ability, that we wouldn't use it to just murder people unnecessarily we wouldn't use it to just you know have sex with whoever we wanted to whether they wanted to or not like we wouldn't do that we would like to think that we wouldn't do that I also think that again that level of power that level of freedom I think that it is almost impossible to conceptualize it's almost impossible to think about what we could do what we would do with that level of power and that level of freedom and again an inability for anyone to stop us spoiler alert the narratives throughout season one two and three are basically people trying to find a way to kill homelander because he's just off the chain like he just out here doing whatever he wants and no one can stop him because he is the most powerful person on the planet and so hedonism again rampant throughout the narrative across the comics across the television show. The next thing I want to talk about that I that I feel like is sort of an offshoot of this conversation is this idea of human hierarchy. And again, returning to APA's Dictionary of Psychology, hierarchy refers to a clear ordering of individuals on some behavioral dimension, such as dominance and submission. And so again, I think in across the boys narrative, we see different sort of human hierarchies, different hierarchies of power, different hierarchies of importance, right? And and I use that term loosely. And I, I when I say importance, I think that that's sort of like an implied <laughs> importance. I also think that that is relative, right? Like how important someone is to you may not be the same as somebody else, what have you. So what we see, I think what I, what I glean is the sort of power hierarchy in the boys at the tippy tippy top of this are the people who run Vaude American, right? Vaude International. Those are the people with the power. And if you, any scene that Giancarlo Stanton is in, who plays Stan Edgar in the TV show, first of all, he eats everyone in every scene that he is in. He is another person that if he ain't won an award, give it to him, give him all the awards because it is absolutely amazing. Nonetheless, I would argue that that's the person with the power. Vought has the formula for Compound V, which, spoiler alert, is this drug that makes people into superheroes. And so to me, they hold all the power. Very closely beneath them, we think hierarchically, would be the superheroes, and then I think they would be everybody else. Um, But ostensibly, 
we see uh, Butcher, who again is the leader of this sort of, of the boys, this team um, designed to keep tabs on the superheroes. In, on more than one occasion, and definitely much more explicitly in the comics, um, he says, we have to kill all the soups. Like, they're all horrendous. They're all going to be terrible. No one should have that. No one can have that level of power without sort of leaning into this superiority complex. There's no way that you can have that level of power with that lack of monitoring, that lack of control without seeing yourself as dominant without seeing everybody else as submissive. And so I think we see Butcher at many points throughout the series really unintentionally or otherwise leaning into this idea of hierarchy. No, we just got to get rid of all of them. We got to totally wipe out that level of power sort of in the caste system, in the social hierarchy. We All of them got to go. All of them got to go. And again, if you have read the comics, the way, let me take a moment, the way that the comics ended, um, and, and that's that's sort of all I'll say about that, to this day, I still feel some kind of way. Um, I've only read it once. I don't think that I'll read it again because I know what's coming at the end, but uh, let's just say that this sort of quest uh, for Butcher to annihilate, eradicate all of the superheroes from the world is a huge, huge part of the end of the story arc. And so what have you? Anyways, but again, I think that we see him really leaning in again to this idea of hierarchy. Another thing I want to talk about, which for me, it wasn't until the third time I watched the series, right? So I watched it twice. I read the comics and then I watched it again after I read the comics because I definitely wanted to see if there were little Easter eggs or whatever. And there totally was. And my husband and my best friend called me a huge nerd, which thank you very much because I was so excited. Every time I would see something in the TV show that was an Easter egg from the comic or that was sort of like a direct reference, I was so excited. But anyways, um, one storyline that is more prevalent in the show uh, versus in, in the comic books is uh, but- Butcher's wife, Becca. And Becca, spoiler alert, was sexually assaulted by Homelander. She was raped by Homelander. She became pregnant. In the comic, that's kind of where the story ends. In the TV show, there's like this whole other saga that comes of this, right? So Butcher starts this quest as the leader of the boys because he believes that Homelander raped and murdered his wife when it actually turns out she's alive and is actually living somewhere with Homelander's son. And at the end of season one, he finds out that she's still alive. And then season two is basically him trying to get her back. And there's like this whole shenanigan. But nonetheless, Becca has a son, Ryan, who is Homelander's biological son. So he is also, Ryan is a super powered person. Um, but what we see throughout season two, um, and in, in Becca's narrative ostensibly, time and time again, she says, I just want my son to be normal. So she's raising him basically in this fake, like Pleasantville type of town that is being controlled by Vaudamerican. Homelander comes into his life like he finds out where, whatever. There's like this whole shenanigan, whatever. It's like a whole drama, um, soap opera type of thing. But nonetheless, Becca holds on to this idea that she doesn't want her son to be a superpowered person. She does not tell him that he has powers. She doesn't, none of this, right? Like she, quote, raises him as a normal person. And it wasn't until the third time that I watched this that I really, I remember turning to my husband and I was like, this is like lightweight problematic, like what she keeps saying. I understand her concern, Becca, in saying that she doesn't want her son to turn out like Homelander. Again, like we talked about previously with this level of power, Homelander is like kind of an asshole. Um, Homelander also was not raised with any parents. Homelander, which super sad, um, was raised in a lab. Like he was basically built and raised in a lab. So he did not have any type of 
socialization, any type of parenting when he was younger, right? And so Becca's whole idea is that I want to give my son all the love in the world so he doesn't grow up like Homelander. What I feel like is problematic is, again, her absolute refusal to acknowledge that her son has superpowers. To me, what it sounds like is like, I don't see color or I don't see difference. You're just like everybody else. No, he's not. He's absolutely not like everyone else. And I feel like this is an instance where there absolutely could have been a both and. You could absolutely have raised that boy with all the love and support and all of this, whatever, and not sort of try to hide or just ignore the fact that he's a superpowered person. Um, and that again, turns out to be sort of like a huge story arc in season two. Ryan finds out that Homelander is his dad. Homelander just inserts himself into this boy's life and is telling him about all these powers that he has. There's this scene in season two that's not supposed to be funny, but it's kind of funny where Homelander pushes Ryan off the roof because he tells him he can fly and he doesn't fly. He just hits the ground. He's totally fine, but whatever. So I feel like in this instance where Becca is, no, my son, he's just normal. He's, he's normal. He's not this, he's not that. She, again, I just feel like it's super problematic. <laughs> I just feel like it's super problematic. Um, because again, I think ignoring difference is not usually helpful. Differences are not the issues when it comes to inequity and human hierarchy. The issue is how we value difference. And so I feel like Becca's approach to sort of just like putting her head in the sand and my my son's just like everyone else, he's gonna be normal. That's not helpful, girl, because again, that's ignoring difference as opposed to acknowledging and uplifting difference and really being mindful and intentional about how we value that. So I think about sort of from a psychological perspective, right? If you have raised this boy for, I don't know how, this, how old this boy is supposed to be. He looked like about 14, but I think he was supposed to be 12, 10, I don't know, something. But you have raised this boy all these years, sort of not even acknowledging that he has these powers. So how then does he internalize the way that he feels about powers? So does he feel like something is wrong with him because he has powers? And we see that sort of through season two and into season three, that this boy got a lot going on. He need all the therapy, right? Homelander's his daddy. Something very sad happens with his mom. I'm not going to go there, but you know what I'm saying? This boy got some issues. He got some trauma. And I would argue that Becca's inability to acknowledge and teach him to value his difference is absolutely akin to a parent of a child of color, not teaching them to value and acknowledge the their non-whiteness, right? You, If you don't value that, they're not going to value that. You know what I'm saying? And I think that for me, on the third viewing, third time's a charm, that whole, Becca's whole everything was just getting on my damn nerves. And I was like, this is super problematic. Nonetheless, I digress. And so moving forward, the other thing I'll sort of say about this narrative, um, I want to speak specifically about the difference between comics as a medium and film and television. And I want to read this quote from the Daily Bruin. Quote, comics are a visual medium like film and television. One key difference is that comics move in space on a page rather than time. Where a film can linger on an important scene, a comic must use the way the eye lingers on larger panels or smaller panels to draw attention. And so for me, when I was going through the show the third time, and this was after I read the comics, right? So I, I had this idea of all these characters in my mind, and then I read the comics, and then I watched the show again. I feel like the television show provided more what I'll call obvious depth to the character stories. And I would argue that that is because of the difference, like I just read, between comics as a medium versus film as a medium. So in the story, we could very clearly have these flashback scenes or we could very clearly have this sort of cutaway scene that gives you more insight, more depth into this character. Whereas in comics, it's very difficult. I don't want to say difficult. It's different to do that, right? And even how you tell a story with that type of depth in a comic, I think is very different. And so 
for me, stories and comics, right, are produced through art and imagery, which is absolutely amazing. This is not a shade. I'm not here to say that comics are not whatever, because let me tell you something. Comics are a valuable medium and I want to send a special shout out again to Dr. Patrick O'Connor for introducing me to this world of comic books, right? I absolutely love it. I'm not, this is not a shade. Comics tell stories through art and imagery. Stories on film are told through emotion, audio, and acting. And so again, I think that in TV and film, there's a way to be very explicit about what it is that you're trying to say and what it is that you want people to glean. Again, if there's a scene and there's a symphony in the background and then there's this and that, and then there's this type of dialogue, whatever, it is much more intentional, for lack of a better word, what it is that you're trying to evoke. Where again, I feel like comics do that in a much different way. And so one prime example, I feel like from the boys narrative is the relationship between Kamiko, AKA the female and Frenchie. One of the most beautiful aspects of the boys television series is the relationship between Frenchie and Kamiko. Like that to me, it's like making my chest a little tight talking about it right now. Their relationship is so beautiful to me. It is so, it is so unique to them. It is not forced into any sort of label, any sort of, it's just so beautiful to me. Right. And I noticed that from the get, right? Watching this series all the way through before I read the comics, I noticed that from the get. I'm like, this relationship is so uniquely them. It is so, I don't want to say pure because that sounds weird. It is just what they want it to be and nothing else matters. And you see the way that it blossoms from the very beginning. It is so amazing. In the comic, they have a similar sort of very unique relationship, but you don't get as much depth. And again, that's not a shade. It just is what it is. It's very different, right? You see their interactions in the comic and you can sort of tell like, okay, like they're like a unit. They're like a group. They complement each other very well. The way that they did it in the show, like chef's kiss, amazing. Kamiko is one of my most favorite characters in the entire series because she... I just love everything about her. The actress who plays Kamiko, like just everything about this is amazing. Another example I would point to is Annie January, AKA Starlight. Her character in the comics cannot hold a candle to her character in the show. And again, that's not a shade. Um, again, I think it, I also have to acknowledge that I, read the comics again after I watched the show. So I didn't go into the comics like with no prior knowledge or no prior understanding. So maybe this is an unfair assessment. Maybe yes, maybe no. It is what it is. Nonetheless, I feel like Starlight in the show is amazing. Starlight in the comics, she was just less so. I feel like she... She, they, uh, I just think when you compare the two, right? Like Starlight's development throughout the television series as this sort of naive do-gooder, for lack of a better word, to what it is that she has become now at the end of season three as someone who I would argue, like when we think about concepts of morality, right? Like when we think about stages of moral development, people move from this very discreet understanding of good, bad, right, wrong to something that is more relative, understanding that ethics and justice and all of that is, is somewhat relative. And we can't be so like, this is good. This is bad. We can't be so discreet. We can't be so either, or we have to be both. And, and I feel like Annie January, AKA Starlight, we see her move from either or to both and throughout the course of the television series. I feel like in the comic, uh, she was all right. You know, she was cool. Her and Huey's story in the comic, just like in the show, I think is absolutely amazing. I just feel like we got more from her. 
in the TV show. Similarly, speaking of Huey, I think the dynamic between Butcher and Huey, um, I know that in the, I think it's the first season, uh, M.M. refers to Huey as Butcher's canary. Like he's your canary. He's basically your, your moral compass. He's your Jiminy Cricket. Like Huey is here to make sure you don't like go off the deep end and just be off the chain out here acting reckless. And I feel like in the comic, there was that also. I just feel like we didn't have, there wasn't the same complexity. And again, I just want to reiterate, this is not a shade on comics mediums. This is not, I don't feel like it was worse. It was just very different. And again, I think that that difference is due to the constraints, limitations of the medium. And I think we definitely saw a dynamic between Butcher and Huey in the comics. I absolutely think, particularly with this, the very last scene that they had together in the comics, which I will say no more about this, you sort of saw the dynamic crescendo um, and sort of you saw it come to a resolution. And I think that in the television series, again, we just get so many more layers to that, uh, particularly Butcher's, with Butcher's backstory and his, his relationship with his younger brother and all these different things. Um, and so, and let me just reiterate, if Amazon, Eric Kripke, Seth Rogen, whoever the hell ends the boys TV show, like they ended the comic, we're going to have a problem and I'm just going to leave it at that, but we're going to have a problem. I, I don't, I don't want to see that when it's time for this show to come to an end and it will come to a logical end. Um, don't you do that because I will write a very strongly worded letter. Okay. Okay. The last thing I want to mention is related to issues of inequity and social justice that are sort of showcased throughout the narrative. Now, whether it be intentionally or otherwise, I remember one of the first things I noticed, um, in reading the comic was the way that black people were portrayed. And I remember I reached out to my dear friend, Mr. Victor Dandridge Jr., the hardest working man in comics, cause he was getting the whole play by play, right? As I was reading this comic. And I was like, is it me? Or is it like lightweight problematic the way that these black people are being portrayed? Um, they were quote, and this is a, this is language that I used when I was researching this, right? This is not my language quote, ghetto stereotypes, right? Like people that spoke in a very specific way. There was an incessant use of the N word when they were talking to each other, when they were talking to whoever, like I just had a problem with it. Right. I had a problem with that. There was a storyline. So MM AKA mother's milk is a black person. Um, in the TV series, he's played by the devilishly handsome and beautiful and luscious Laz Alonzo. Nonetheless, there is a storyline with M.M. in which his daughter's mother is a crackhead. And we see this sort of like flashback of M.M. having to literally go to a crack house to rescue his infant child because his daughter's mother has taken this child to a crack house and she's somewhere getting high, right? So there was that. Um, there is, there was also a storyline where um, the mother and daughter basically do mommy-daughter porn for money, for crack. Like, there was just this whole thing, right, that I was just like, of all the people, you picked the black people to be the ones that, you know what I'm saying? It was, <sighs> whatever. There's also, as I mentioned before, one of the factions um, of superhero groups uh, is known as the G-Men. There's like 511 different G-Men, but one of the groups um, I remember in the story specifically about the G-Men, they were talking about them and like, oh, they're coming from the West Coast, da 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 And when there's these two sort of like rival factions of predominantly black G-Men and women, that again, they were just so stereotypical, like again, just calling each other the N word and like just ready to fight. Like it was just wild, right? And I, I really had a problem with it. 
And I remember having a conversation with my friend Daniel at WonderCon about this. I said, is this like, what is this? And I remember he told me that that actually has been a criticism of Garth Ennis over the years is that I don't know if, cause Garth Ennis is not American. I believe he's, he might be Scottish or English. I'll have to double check on that, but he is not American. And so this is essentially, there's, there's a question of whether or not this is how he views African-Americans. Like, is this how you feel like they act? Because ostensibly almost every single one in throughout this comic series is that is how they are with the exception of M.M. And the deep who actually in the comic is a black person, which I didn't know that until like the very end because he like always has a helmet on, but whatever. It just very problematic portrayals of black people. And so we don't necessarily see that in the show. So kudos to the show creators. Um, But I think both in the show and in the comics, we see dynamics of power both literally and figuratively right we see dynamics of power with super powered people versus not and then we see dynamics of power as i mentioned with to me the people who have all the power which are the the vaude executives right the stan edgars the madeline stillwells the people who legit have the power right they may not be super powered but they have the power because they have the money Um, and the boys has been described as sort of anti-capitalist because the essential sort of overarching theme is that these superpowered people are corrupt because they are commercialized. They are corrupt in the very first scene of the pilot episode of the boys. There is an instance where, so first we see, I feel like the opening scene of the pilot episode is Queen Maeve and Homelander basically stopping a crime. So that's great. And then it literally cuts to, I think we then see Starlight and sort of her, you know, I want to be a hero because I want to help people. And she gets into the seven and we see them at a, like a stockholders meeting or something. And again, it's just very clear that profit margins and all of these different things take precedent over any type of morality so to speak and so um the the narrative whether we're talking about the comics or the tv show has been described as anti-capitalist which i think is very interesting particularly in america but that's a conversation for a different day and i think this show goes a step further right in the comic we see little instances here and there uh conversations about inequity there were conversations about um i believe it was a, a gay superhero and Huey and and Butcher were having a conversation about all of that and what that means. And Butcher Butcher was being very homophobic. Huey had to put him in his place. The show, I feel like, takes that a step further. And again, as I mentioned, it's a bit different to do in in the film medium versus comics. But there are a plethora of themes in the show, particularly related to racism, racial stereotypes, and inequities. So... One that I'm thinking of more recently, and again, to me, was very overt. It was very obvious that that, was, that is what it's about, is the conflict between A-Train, who is a superhero member of the Seven. He's also a black, a black man. And another superhero called Blue Hawk. Um, and there's this very tense scene um, in season three where Blue Hawk has basically been accused of over-policing black neighborhoods. A-Train says, you know, you need to do something about this. So like we typically see Blue Hawk at a press conference, you know, at this black community center apologizes. Uh, He reads off of a paper like he doesn't mean it. Um, Things get very heated. And in the course of this, it becomes a Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter conversation. And Blue Hawk essentially just goes apeshit. And hurts a lot of people, one of them being A-Train's brother who becomes paralyzed. But that's neither here nor there. But nonetheless, I think we see these themes that the producers, the the creators were very explicit about putting in. I think the other one that we see very intentionally is um, Homelander's sort of American nationalism. We see as he's really coming into his own, really trying to figure out who he is and whatever I don't know he just a whole hot mess but Homelander becomes very sort of xenophobic 
I remember there's a scene where he's talking about, you know, should his slogan be saving America or saving the world? And he says very specifically, we're saving Americans. We're not worried about everybody else. And so I think that that is very clear. And then, um, again, one that was very explicit, a storyline that was very explicit was in season two, uh, Stormfront, her everything was... (laughs) I laugh because I remember the first time I watched it and there's a line because Stormfront, spoiler alert, basically it's revealed that Stormfront was one of the first ever superheroes and her husband was Frederick Vaught, who is the one who developed this serum that made people superheroes. He was also a Nazi, so she's also a Nazi. And there's a scene in the last episode of season two where she says, people like what I have to say. They just don't like the term Nazi. And I was like, dang, I ain't like her. But I mean, there was a little bit of truth to what she was saying because there were points where her and Homelander were sort of on this whole nationalism kick. And again, she was saying the same things that she was, you know. So again, I think that the TV show did... I don't want to say did well, because I think that's relative, but I will say that they were not shy to confront these sort of issues of inequity, these issues of social justice, which I would argue is sort of compensating for the shenanigans in the comic, right? Because there were so many issues of just stereotypical, I would say lightweight racist, um, I would say at the very least discriminatory um, type of portrayals uh, of people of color and other folks with marginalized identities. And so with that, I'm going to bring this conversation to a close and leave you all with this mm, about that moment focused on the boys, both the comics narrative and the television show. And so the first thing I'm going to sort of outline is my favorite season and favorite episodes. So far and away, my favorite season is season three. People can probably guess why. Um, Jensen Ackles was in season three. Um, He played Soldier Boy. And actually, season three of The Boys is the reason that I'm in love with Supernatural to this day. And so it will forever and ever be my favorite season. Um, I also just think it was amazing. My favorite episode, actually two episodes from season three are my absolute favorite. The first being Herogasm, enough said. Um, But part of the reason I love that episode was literally the fight between Homelander and Soldier Boy Butcher Huey. Absolutely amazing television. Um, I also think the season three finale was pretty great there was just like so much going on um and then it ended not the way that anybody expected and so i would argue i would also argue that uh the last episode of season two was phenomenal there was just again i feel like this show does well to wrap up narratives that have been happening over the course of the season but then also leaving enough for us to you know be excited about the next season i don't think it's like too cliffhangerish, but it's also not like well now what's gonna come next i just think the storytelling is amazing um one thing that i will say that i'm nervous about uh with the boys is that it will fall victim to this sort of superhero fatigue that i think people are feeling that consumers are feeling you know with marvel with dc i think people are just kind of over it I think people, you know, the MCU has been around since however long, I don't know. They're making all these movies. There's a new show every two seconds. And then there's all this stuff, right? And DC is doing whatever they're doing with all these different people. You know, like, there's just a lot going on. And so I think that I'm, I'm nervous that, to me, The Boys is a very different type of superhero sh- narrative, type of superhero show. I hope that it doesn't fall victim to this sort of superhero fatigue. I don't think that it will, because again, I think that if you think about Captain America versus, you know, Homelander or whatever, it's very different. The other thing that I would just reiterate is that the way that the comics ended, the way that the story ended, 
it still doesn't sit right with me. Again, I remember reaching out to Victor and I was like, yo, what? Like I literally, like I, I don't think that I ever felt unsettled, as unsettled as I did at the end of that sort of series. And I remember talking to him and he said, whether or not you liked it, you remember it and it's sitting with you. So that's good storytelling. And I'm like, damn, you're so right. Um, nonetheless, they bet not in the show that way because I will write a letter and I will start it right. And the last thing that I'll say about the boys, if, if none of this has sort of motivated you to watch and or read it, I will say that the show very subtly, other times explicitly, but I think overall very subtly be talking about some real stuff. Like I, I think that the dynamics, the conversations about power and privilege and what's moral. I remember talking to my mom because she started watching the show way before me. And she said one thing about this show is that there are no, you don't know who the good people are and who the bad people are because pretty much everybody got some stuff going on. And to me, I love, love, love stories like that because they are reflective of life. Like, I don't think that in life we can draw clear demarcations between I'm all good or I'm all bad or this is all good or this is all bad. Like, I feel like in life we live in the shades of gray, right? We live in the both and. And so that is something I think that this show and the narrative does so amazingly. Like, it it really is like, whoa, you know, everybody just got a lot going on. Such is life. And I think that the show really tackles that conflict that complexity and sneaks in these conversations about power again about morality about equity I think that it is just so beautifully done I think that the show is super dramatic without being overly so like it's not like you feel like you're watching a lifetime movie but there's so much going on that it's like dang like you kind of forget about these characters over here like and Everybody's just got a lot going on. And I think that it's amazing because again, I think that it is absolutely reflective of life. I think it's also part of the reason that I have watched the show so many times is that I feel validated by, and, and I think Annie is, is one of those characters that I really feel connected to, but I feel validated in understanding that sometimes shit just be messy. And sometimes, even though you may have lived your life feeling or believing a certain thing, when you're confronted with new information, it is a-okay to change your mind about that thing, right? And I think that the boys just does this so, so, so beautifully. The way that people respond when they sort of peek behind the curtain and see how the soups really are and the tension that people feel like, Homelander's not supposed to be an asshole. Like he's like our savior, you know what I'm saying? And so I just think that it's so well done. And so with that, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sticking with me through this journey. I wish you and your family safety, health, and joy. Until next time, beautiful people.